Welcome to Central Line, the AHA podcast. This is the official podcast of the American Animal Hospital Association, dedicated to simplifying the journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine for every member of the veterinary team. Here's your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. Hello, welcome back to Central Line. It's so great to have everyone with us today for this very special episode that I'm super excited to do. Um, we are here with two guests today. So we have Charles Hardy, a wonderful veterinarian who reached out through the uh, podcast email address. So someone does check that email address and it's me. So if anybody wants to reach out, please do, because I am so glad that, um, that Charles reached out and wanted to tell his team story. And one of his team members is joining us today too. We have Alana McKern, who is um, by Charles's definition, a badass unicorn who works in the same practice. <laughs> so <laughs> Charles and Alana, Badass Unicorn, it is wonderful to have you here. <laughs> Thank you so much for having us, Katie. Um, so before we Thank get started, you. as usual, uh, we're going to get into a lot of great stuff today, but I'd love to have you tell our listeners just a little bit about the both of you. So Charles, would you mind giving us a little bio and who you are, how you came to be here? Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, and just again, I want to make sure that we thank you for for what you're doing with the podcast. Like the content of this program is awesome, which thank is you. which definitely compelled me to reach out to you. I'm so um, glad, and I'm just so happy that you were receptive to our story, and and we're happy to tell it and share it. I think um, I can honestly say your story made my day and probably week and everybody else's that I shared with at AHA, which is a lot of people. Awesome. Um, so uh, <laughs> definitely, um, the appreciation is is mutual. Uh, well, thanks. Um, so yeah, I'm Charles Hurdy. Um, I'm a veterinarian. I've been in practice, uh, gosh, it's hard to even believe it, but 20 years. Um, I uh, traditionally am from the East Coast. I did my uh, veterinary studies at uh, NC State at the vet school there. Did an internship at the University of Georgia. Uh, worked in Maryland for a little bit in small animal practice and then uh, moved out to the West Coast. Uh, my wife is also a veterinarian and um, we actually bought the practice 15 years uh, and two days ago. Uh, <laughs> uh, I always like to say my, my son was actually born on the day that we bought the practice. We actually wow. faxed, yeah, we faxed <laughs> the paperwork on the sale uh, from the maternity ward uh, at the <laughs> hospital. Uh, so that's kind of how we gauge that. Um, but yeah, we, we uh, came out here to the Oregon coast. So that's where our practice is. And we're about a 20, 21 person uh, practice, uh, four or five veterinarians at any given time, uh, just to kind of give an idea of the size of our practice. Um, but yeah, small animal practice, aha. And, uh, it, it's just been, it's been a great journey this 20 years in, in, uh, veterinary medicine. And if you ever told me even a couple of years ago that I might be on this podcast talking about <laughs> our, our practice, um, I would maybe wouldn't believe you. Um, I mean, same. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, did want to say too that um, we we have partnered with um, another uh, veterinary group, uh, Western Veterinary Partners, um, just just a couple months ago, and um, and I find myself on their veterinary medical advisory board. So that's been an, another interesting journey for me. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess that's kind of kind of my quick story there quick bio <laughs> yeah that's a lot of years compressed into a couple a few sentences <laughs> yeah. there but yeah. um that's cool happy uh practice 
anniversary. Yeah, right. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> and, you know, you're clearly one of those people who doesn't do anything halfway <laughs> by a practice and have a kid on the exact same day. That's pretty, that's pretty hardcore. <laughs> it, it was definitely hardcore. Um, I, I, you know, when we, when we found out all those things were happening, uh, you know, I looked at Natasha and my wife and I'm like, Hey, if we survive the next like couple of years, we can do anything. And yeah, uh, yeah here we are. <laughs> That's awesome. And, uh, and Alana, what about you? Well, um, I guess, uh, so I'm Scottish. I grew up in Singapore and Hong Kong with my, my parents and I moved over here 13 years ago, about maybe 15 actually, but, um, Moved over here to help my sister-in-law, and all I'd been doing was, you know, customer service for 24 years, pretty much. And I, I actually ended up getting bit by a dog, and I wanted to work at a vet clinic because she was working for Grove at the time. And she pushed me, told me I couldn't, you know, probably because, you know, and I totally agreed with her because I was terrified. <laughs> well, nine years later, I'm the operations manager at Grove, and uh, I am FIFRI certified, and I work with dogs. So, yeah, no, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and I, I just love it. I just have always wanted to retire at Grove. I love everybody there, that's and we're fantastic. just a big family. That's, and a, that's, that's a good pretty much where I'm going to be. Right? You don't hear <laughs> that too yeah. often. So. Yeah, and I would, I would add that Alana is a lot of the glue <laughs> that keeps the team together as well. Um, she may not necessarily realize that, um, but I'll publicly uh, embarrass you a little bit, but, you know, part of, part of the well-being and, and mental health program and the different things that we're trying to do, you know, she's fully behind. And, and honestly, I don't think we'd be able to do some of the things that we're doing uh, without her like dedication. So thank you, Alana. <laughs> That's wonderful. I, I love to hear that. And um, thank you. We have, there are so Appreciate many practices it. out there where, you know, there are a couple of team members that really do, um, make it all work. You know, it t it's always a team effort and there's so many pieces that have to go right for things to work well. But um, for people like you, Alana, I think it's really important that you get recognized for that work because um, I think there's there's somebody at every practice who really does take on that role, whether they know it or not. And uh, and it's, a, it's really vital. So, yeah. Um, that's great. Thank you. And, um, Alana's also wearing a really awesome hat, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but, <laughs> um, before we start, I always like to know a little bit more about our guests. And so the question that I wanted to ask you, the personal question I wanted to ask you guys today is if you could put up a billboard or a tweet that everybody in veterinary medicine would see, what would it say? Yeah, you know, I, I got this question. I, I've heard this on your program before mm -hmm. and kind of saw it in the pre-program notes. And I thought about some of the things that we live by in the practice. And it's like, well, you know, those are going to come up uh, mm -hmm. during the program. So I actually, I thought of something that I've actually championed and, and, and really promoted. And it's actually a quote by Margaret Mead. Um, and I think it's an important one for everybody to, to realize. And, and I'm just going to read it because I, I don't want to mess it up. Um, but basically, um, what she says is, you know, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Uh, indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. And, you know, it just it's such a great quote, because if you have it's like if you have an idea, if you're contemplating and you feel like maybe you can't get that out there or, or, or do it, but just, you just have to start, you know, and it can be one person, it can be a small practice, it can be a couple people. 
Um, and as long as you're intentional and thoughtful and, you, and you're moving forward with uh, whatever your passion might be or this idea or this concept, um, it all starts small. Um, all big ideas start small. Maybe that should be the billboard, but um, <laughs> but that's kind of our program started very locally, very small, and you know it's gained some momentum and it's changed some lives. So um, that would probably be, be my billboard quote because that's something that. that I have you know up up on my wall. So <laughs> I love that, and you're so right. You know, I think a lot of people feel like um, a lot of the world is run by really big corporations or big groups now, and they feel like they're not going to make a difference anymore. And I, mm-hmm. I think that there couldn't be anything farther from the truth because. Um, what big groups can do and people with a microphone can do and people who can reach more than that small group can do is amplify um, mm-hmm. the things that that those small groups are doing. And um, that's what I would love to do with the podcast, with AHA. That's what you're doing by partnering with Western Veterinary Partners and trying to bring change to more practices. And, and even if you don't change the whole world, Right away, <laughs> right. you right. could be changing somebody's world at any exactly. given time, and um, and that's really that's a fantastic one. So love it, Alana. How about you? I guess mine was would kind of be short and sweet. I guess you know. Um, <laughs> oh. I love that. It is short and sweet it. and to the point, but it is a everyone huge deserves it. Right. Yeah, and something that I think everybody in this profession needs to be reminded of on a regular basis. So I love that one. We need to put that billboard on everyone's drive to work. That'd be great. Okay, good. Well, let's get into it. Um, the The reason you're here is uh, that Charles sent this email um, and the words grit and love were in it. And you had a document attached to it where you told your team's story and what you had been doing. And um, it that grit and love phrase just captured my attention right away because um, there couldn't be anything that described our profession more accurately than those right. two words together. I mean, I haven't <laughs> met a single veterinary professional who wasn't gritty and who wasn't absolutely full of love for the animals that they're taking care of. So um, I just, I thought that was just, you, you know, maybe you should write marketing copy because <laughs> it's really good. Um, so I, I'd love to just have you start by telling us about it. You know, can you, Charles, can you tell us what, yeah. can you tell us the origin story of this program and what it is? Yeah, sure. And, um, yeah, thanks for the for the for the feedback on grit plus love and and you know it was one of those concepts that I mean we you know we were very intentional in in the development of our culture um, but I truly feel like we you know just kind of like those words just sort of almost appeared before us you know and it, it was just really exciting to be to be part of it and. I guess in terms of the origin story, I would kind of rewind all the way back to the beginning of COVID. I'm not going to relive all of that craziness and we're still going through it. Right. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's still happening. Um, but when I think back on the beginning of COVID and I think about the people that I was surrounded by, um, I just consider myself like so, so lucky um, because I had a team that, was open and ready and willing and and here we are and one of the things that we did when when COVID hit with all that fear and all that isolation um we we doubled down on the development of community 
we really built on the concept of togetherness um, and connection. And I really think that those are some of the things that we 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 kind of lucked into that. I'm like, you know, I'm just I kind of try to think back, like, how did that how did that happen? Why did we, why did we do that? We, it really felt like the right thing to do, and that's what we did. And we and we recognized people for coming to work. We recognized people for all the great things they were doing. We recognized everybody for their perseverance, their resilience, you know, pushing through all of these hard times and hard challenges. And that's sort of where the grit comes in, right? Um, and the, the, the grit word landed in the treatment area um, because in September of 2020, in the midst of the height of COVID, um, our community was faced with wildfires. I mean, literally the skies turned bright orange. There was ash and soot falling from, from the sky. Um, there were houses burning in the northern part of our county and in further on in our state, we, we were just having towns completely devastated. But this in our community was a completely new thing. And we were doing curbside care and we were wearing our KN95 mask, not only for COVID, but because we were breathing in this ash that was like literally falling from the sky. And, um, you know, people came to work and we delivered the, the great care that our clients were used to. I couldn't believe that people actually came to the clinic, but they, but they did. And it was more of like emergency work. But, um, but I remember, you know, kind of working on a team briefing and pulling people into the treatment area. And I was just like, you guys are the grittiest people like I have ever met. Like you're amazing. And that's where it all kind of the, the terminology came, uh, you know, this grit plus love. And, and, and one of the concepts with the, with love and the way that what that word means for us is our empathy and our compassion and obviously our, our just, you know, our, our love, you know, and we're grounded in that, but we took the empathy and the compassion a couple steps further. I think we all sort of think about the veterinary profession and the people within it being the most empathic people in, on the planet. And yes, we are. Um, we apply that empathy though, pretty exclusively to patients and clients. And, and, you know, we kind of don't have, uh, the boundaries, you know, and so when we, when that empathy is applied that way, um, I always like to say that empathy without boundaries is really self-destructive. I mean, you're not taking care of yourself. And so we turned that concept into a let's apply empathy to each other and, and also turn it back on ourselves. Well, compassion and, and, and some, you know, take care of yourself before we, you know, can take care of, of everything else. Right. Um, and so that's our grit plus love. And then what this kind of evolved into, and I know we're going to talk about this even more today, is um, I, we, we rallied around this concept for as long as we possibly could. Um, but, you know, we all experienced it, right? The, the, the racial inequalities, the, the, um, the riots that were happening, the COVID, the politics, everything just kind of isolating us, pulling us into these corners. And you could see that happening. I could see that happening with the team. And we were all feeling, you know, the fear, the uncertainty, the doubt. And, you know, I'm showing up to work and I'm like, oh, my gosh, how, how are we going to steer this thing? Like, how can I, how am I showing up? <laughs> and, and how can I ask everybody else to show up? I mean, this is yeah. like literally crazy. We're, we're fear, we're, we're, we're flight we're freeze we're in all these constant like the amygdala is just like in constant and nobody's thinking anymore and so we kind of framed this in a 
in the concept of trauma. Like we're really experiencing a daily situation that that is really hard to recover from. And and we we built this culture that you know we leaned on, um, but I think it's the culture that allowed us to take the next steps. And so the next steps were reaching out to a local social worker, uh, a, a, a practitioner of, of cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. And we brought a therapist into the mix and um, we did quite an extensive program, you know, eight, eight and a half hours of, of training um, uh, over four different sessions. And we've continued to have our, our social worker um, help us in the practice. Her name is Helen Beeman. She's amazing. Um, she is. Yeah. I know you've met her and, yeah. and, but what she did for us in the beginning, uh, and I think the most powerful part of it was the validation of what we were experiencing and an understanding of what we were experiencing, the emotions, the feelings, our experiences, we were all collectively having this and we were all able to, um, understand, explain, and just have the vocabulary to understand trauma, stress, anxiety, depression. We even talked about suicide. And she gave us some tools to understand that. And then we took it to the next level where we then kind of learned um, some of the cognitive behavioral therapy techniques on, on everything from meditation to visualization to grounding ourselves in the present. Um, and that was something that I feel was, was just lacking. That was the little push we needed to get healthier and to learn how to process what was happening to us. Um, you know, it's a hard job <laughs> and we're all yeah. hard workers and we take a lot of it home and we're, we live it. Right. I mean, you, you hear about veterinary medicine and veterinary care. It's, it's a calling. It's not a profession. Um, but when it's a calling like that, sometimes we absorb it so, so deeply in everything we do, whether it be euthanasias or dealing with angry clients or dealing with, uh, uh, you know, team members that are having uh, a problem. Um, when we take it, all of that on so deeply, it's hard to, it's hard to process it, understand it. And I think we can, we can do it for a period of time until something like COVID applies so much weight yeah. uh, to our situation that really kind of shows our weaknesses really reveals um, where we need help. And I, you know, I looked at Helen after the third session of going through this and I'm like, Helen, we're doing something special. Like this is, this is, well, it was special for me. <laughs> and I mean, it was changing my life, <laughs> you know, it, it yeah. was helping me be, um, <laughs> it was helping me be a happier, better more grounded person and understanding what I was going through. And I did see that in, in my team members too. Um, I mean, there were multiple times where there were tears, um, um, but there was a lot of fun and, and this as well. And we came together. Um, it just was part of our journey. I'm just so happy it has been part of our journey. Yeah. That's incredible. You know, I just think about all the things that um, that lined up there to make it work. Like you found Helen mm -hmm. and she turned out to be so wonderful, but also mm -hmm. you, that first step, like you came in and you said, how can we survive this together? Like, mm -hmm. how can we do more than just make it through these days? How can we 
Um, how can we take care of ourselves and each other um, so that we're we're doing our best to thrive as well as survive? And yeah. that is such a central question. And so often I feel like veterinary professionals get stuck in the weeds of, okay, we have to get from today to tomorrow. And then we have to get from the first appointment to the second appointment. And there's no time to focus on those things, but those things are what are going to change that daily experience in the long run and make everyone's lives just so much better. And I, I just, I'm so impressed and grateful that you like on your team's behalf that you had that moment where you said to yourself, like, something's got to give, we, we have to do something differently. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, I knew I was at that point and, and uh, if I'm at that point and I'm reading and I'm reading the room, right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, there was, you know, and there, there probably were a couple episodes where, you know, like a complete dysfunctional situation happened and I'm like, mm -hmm. I've never seen that before, you know, yeah. uh, like this angry client. I mean, and, and, you know, granted the clients were also, experiencing intense craziness. I mean, they were, we're all experiencing this together. Yeah. Um, but when you see sort of that, those equal levels of stress and, and, and dysfunction and, and processing and emotion. Um, yeah, there was a couple episodes where I'm like, I don't, I can't ask people to endure this for much longer without, without something. Yeah. Um, and you know, the other part of it too, that, that, um, I think helped us is we did ask, um, we leaned into the team for how are we going to do this guys? You know, like we came up with a lot of the, a lot of, a lot of ideas, but you know, I, I remember, you know, Lana, you can probably remember this day too. It was like, there is no playbook people. <laughs> like what, what, what do we need to do to make your experience at work better? Um, what can we do to make, the experience better for our patients and, and our clients who are sitting out in their cars. Um, and we got a bunch of ideas and we, I think we acted on all of those ideas. Um, and I think that's also maybe a message is, you know, a lot of times we hover in contemplation mm -hmm. and like, like with Margaret Mead, right? I mean, we, we have the idea, but we let it sit in our brains. Um, and as long as it's sitting in the brain, it's not, it's not out there doing and um, go moving from contemplation and getting into the action part, the action steps. And hopefully we can talk a little bit about those action steps. Um, but that was another thing that we did. And I think that was part of delivering that message of grit plus love and connection was like, let's connect ourselves to this experience and let's all take ownership. And, you know, we, we had these colorful signs with cartoons. We had, chalkboards that you know um uh we had uh amy one of our receptionists she did the, the artwork on it uh we added more phones um we put signage up in the clinic we just we tried to make it as as best as we could uh, but yeah. it was a collaborative effort and i think it's that ability to accept collaboration as well because yeah. you know and i'll just say from you know practice managers and veterinarians in general like to try to control everything and um that's just not compatible with with sanity anymore right we can't control anything um <laughs> right so, if if we didn't so, learn anything else from 2020 we learned that right yeah right <laughs> um and so you know being able to collaborate and 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 distribute those ideas and then act on them um yeah i think is also a critical message yeah 
Alana, as as a team member, you know, you you're in a leadership role in the practice, but um, it is very common, I think, for us to hear about wellness programs and, you know, initiatives taken by a company or a practice owner. And we hear about, oh, this worked great or, you know, look at this wonderful thing we're offering our team, but you don't always hear from the team. And about how it worked for them and whether they agree that things really did go well or that it really was useful. And so that's one of the reasons why I wanted Charles to bring one of the team, you know, to talk because that a program's no good if the person who runs it is the only person who thinks it worked great, you know? Um, (laughs) And (laughs) I feel like that oftentimes we can't always tell the difference. So, um, So I'm curious to hear from you, like, first of all, do you feel like like the program was um, extremely helpful for your team and that you have learned a lot about yourself and about how to sort of manage these difficult circumstances through it? Absolutely. Absolutely worth it for every single last one of us. I mean, I mean, who's, who's lucky enough yeah. to have a boss that comes on in and says, hey, guys, we're all suffering here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this better for you and actually – care enough to <laughs> do this. Food is I mean, we had great yeah. meals. Yeah. At the, you know, when, when we went, yeah. I mean, he enticed us in with food. I mean, that's, you know, we're all hungry all the time, right? You know, and then and then this great message that we got, and it was, you know, obviously voluntary, but everybody wanted to be there, and everybody benefited from it. And, you know, like, honest to God, Charles is a great, a great boss, and, and really empathetic and just is there for the team and you know i i yeah no we couldn't have done it without him for sure being at the at the helm for sure but no the the best thing that ever happened i mean it's just we use the language every day when we see somebody getting upset we just throw it out there and you know before i guess we used to say you know oh just breathe breathe (laughs) that didn't mean anything it does now when we say yeah. triangle, <laughs> dia- uh, triangle breathing, square breathing, and it brings us back to all these things that we were taught by Helen, you know, and what actually was put into our laps by Charles. So yeah, no, it's hundred hundred percent would never Alana wouldn't change a thing. Would definitely do it all over <laughs> right. again if I could. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I love hearing that, um, and I love how you said that. That like. You, it's not that nobody ever said, hey, just take a breath before. It's that now it has a whole new meaning. And so instead of saying, this person's flipping her lid, like this person is so reactive, this person can't handle stress. It's we all have these moments and here's what we can do to help each other manage those moments because it's about the moment and it doesn't define who you are as a person. And I feel like I've come into contact with a lot of people who, you know, I I didn't always deal very well with the stress of practice. And especially when unpredictable things came, you know, the wrench in the plans that inevitably happen like every day. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, I like predictability. And so um, that was very, it was very hard for me, especially as a new vet. And um, I found myself a lot of times being defined by my reaction to a situation or my need to take a breath or to step outside or, you know, ask for help. And I didn't realize until much later that that was unfair because who you are in a certain situation doesn't always define who you are as a person. And I feel like 
that is a very valuable lesson um, from going through all of this together. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I would completely agree, Katie. And you sure. really kind of uh, hit at a really good uh, point there in terms of reaction to a situation versus a response to uh, a situation. And, 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 and part of the, uh, the program, this cognitive behavioral therapy is um, how you respond to whether it be a great situation or a not so great situation, something that's not ideal, really, um, you say your, 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 your happiness and your freedom lies in how you respond to different situations. And so a lot of what we practice and, and what we, what's very applicable today in the practice is how we, one, communicate with each other um, when there is a situation that's not perfect or not, well, I should say not ideal. Right, <laughs> um, not ideal. I love that. <laughs> uh, um, and, you know, having that, um, you know, having a, a, a blurred out type judgy reaction, we, we, we really try to work through not doing that. And we try to have sort of the let's process this, let's respond to this, let's recover from this, let's figure out what's happening. Um, you know, asking how can I help versus what's going on? I mean, it's a very subtle difference in those, in those comments. Um, uh, but, you know, and I would say one of our, our major, and this would be maybe one of those billboard quotes is, and this is something we live by, and I think Alana and I probably talk about this every day, is being curious uh, versus being judgmental. So if we can stay curious in a moment, if we can stay curious in a situation um, and not judge people by maybe their worst part of their day or the worst part of their week, they are not, they are not to be uh, that negative situation. They're, you know, we recognize everybody's humanity. Um, but for example, you know, uh, probably something that everybody can, uh, remember and in, in curbside, we're not doing curbside anymore, but you know, you've got a, a client who's not super happy uh, in the car and you can kind of hear like there may be some kids in the background or um, there's, they're screaming, there's some crying and this person's getting frustrated because the appointment's taking an hour and 15 minutes. Whereas two years ago, it took, you know, half an hour. Um, but if, if, and if we can sort of look at that situation and say, okay, um, Let's say we've got a we've got a we've got a client out there. Kids are crying. Dogs got diarrhea. Um, someone's got COVID. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of fear. This is not about us. This is about whatever's happening in their life. Let's not put a label on them because they're having a moment. Um, let's help them through this moment and and ask those curious questions and uh, and solve some problems that way. Um, so I think that's been, you know, sort of reframing some of those discussions, reframing some of the ways that we um, approach different, um, you know, cases, people, each other, uh, that reframing has been so key. And I think that's been one of the, uh, the lessons that we've learned and, and really carried forward uh, from Helen's trainings. Love, I love all of that. And um, I was just thinking as you were talking about that of, a lot of the posts I've seen recently on social media, um, which unfortunately sometimes I feel like you're right. The veterinary profession is really good at empathy 
and compassion for our patients, for sure. Sometimes we're not as good about doing about those things when it comes to the clients that come with the patients. And um, we, I don't think there's one of us that doesn't care about every animal we've ever touched, you know, but Mm -hmm. the people that come with them sometimes make it a little harder to love them. And, um, (laughs) and especially if we're not in the best frame of mind that day. Um, But I, I really love that you were talking about how the cognitive behavioral therapy techniques and training and sessions that you've had with Helen and work that you've done with each other has also helped you reframe how clients might be acting and respond differently to that because there's such a big element of that now, especially after the last two years that clients have been going through more than they ever have. And um, just like all of us and that us versus them mindset just seems to be getting more pronounced. It seems like in a Mm -hmm. lot of the veterinary forums that I've been on and um, we're not going to get anywhere that way. So no. Yeah. I mean, that was actually uh, one of our, that was actually one of the initiating uh, concepts to bring Helen in. And, you know, we, I think that's exactly what we called it was, look, we can't have an us versus them. Like, I mean, sometimes you feel like you're in this bunker, like the clinic Mm -hmm. is just this bunker, you know, we're in an older building there's not a ton of windows. Um, and, and you're like, you know, we were doing this. This is where it all goes down. Yeah. It's like what's (laughs) happening in the, in the, in the depths of that veterinary clinic. And, and, but you could really see that sort of, you know, where we were really wanting to speak about our inclusion in the community. We, you could see the us versus them. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. all right, we got to get in front of this because this is, an us thing. <laughs> um, we need yeah. to bring everybody in and make everybody part of this. And, um, and, and I really think that the program has helped us do that, but that's exactly how we framed it uh, to the team during one of our meetings. Um, and, uh, you know, Hey, we gotta, we gotta change that narrative a little bit. Yeah. Alana, have you noticed from your perspective that, that those attitudes have changed since you started this work? Um, the attitudes toward clients and being able to empathize with them a little bit more. Uh, yeah, it's gone. It's gone from you know, oh god, this so and so. So you know, I have to you know deal with so and so. It's an opportunity. Oh, I get. I get to deal <laughs> yeah. with so and so. You know what I mean? Mm, I'm just go. gonna make the the best of it. Yeah, it's opportunity to exceed their expectations and and do it with a great attitude. So yeah, it definitely has for sure. Yeah, everybody has embraced it completely and we all know we all speak the same language right so we all know what the other person's going through at that time and we just you know ross palmer dr palmer who was on um the podcast earlier this year had talked about how uh, he now views client interactions where he realizes the client was not reading him the way that he wanted them to um and that maybe they you know they were they had some misperceptions about who he was or what he could offer them. And it could be because of something he didn't say or something that they came in expecting. Um, But he said he now views it as an opportunity to show them what he can do for them and how much he does want to help them. And I loved that because um, it's like a little challenge and what veterinary professional doesn't love a challenge, right? Like, well, you think I don't care? I'll show you how much I care, you know? And it's it's completely different from, well, get the heck out of my waiting room then if you don't think I care. you know, so yeah, um, yeah, love yeah. that. Well, and those I, I, I listened to the episode. Um, Dr. Palmer, at Colorado State, is that yes, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. And I, I felt for him, like he that when he was uh, having that mismatch 
mm-hmm. uh, with that client. Like it, it got him in his heart, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but, uh, interesting story from him and how, you know, he, he, well, one, he's not going to define himself, right. As right. his might, he might reflect on that as one of his worst moments when this client challenged him that way, but he, he turned that into an opportunity, right. I mean, he talks about it and he teaches mm-hmm. others and, um, but yeah, that's a great example of, of reframing how yeah. we look at, um, you know, what's happened to us. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes easier said than done, but that's why you have each other, right? <laughs> exactly. Gotta have, so... your, you gotta have each other's backs. Yeah. Yeah. So I was wondering, you know, you, we were talking a little bit about how you, you all did get really lucky, of course, in finding Helen and in having mm-hmm. her be so wonderful and so willing to help you. And, you know, and she donates proceeds to a dachshund rescue and you know i mean she's just like a super gem of a human but also you know i I was wondering if you feel like this is a program that almost any practice could do um even if it's not with helen or it's not in exactly the same way like do you think that bringing a therapist in to work with the team and taking some of those lessons and continuing on in work with them or with each other do you feel like that's something that's that's uh, repeatable for pretty much anyone? I, I do think it's repeatable. Uh, now, I think each team is going to be different. Each mm-hmm. team is going to have different um, needs. Um, but I do feel like the whole veterinary, let's call it the ecosystem, mm-hmm. is super open and receptive to recognizing now that we have a work-life balance problem in this industry. <laughs> Um, and so that, that level of openness and receptivity to these kinds of ideas is there. Um, and as long as that's there, I think that these kinds of programs can definitely work. Um, but that is one of the biggest questions, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, we're trying to share this story. Like the reason I reached out was, like, I want to put this out there in the universe. Like, I want to put this out there in the world. It was very helpful here. Can it be helpful in other places? And I honestly have to believe that it is. And I feel like if you, when you're looking at all the different emails and stories that focus on mental health right now and uh, focus on well being in the veterinary profession, there's little bits and pieces. There's little gems out there where you like such and such practice in Wilmington, North Carolina. They've got a veterinary social worker they've brought on. Um, you know, AVMA has wellness resources that maybe not a lot of people or practices know about, but they've got a great program with some good training. Um, AHA has some tremendous resources on on bringing wellness and well-being practice into a into a business, um, so these little bits and pieces are out there, and we just need to figure out a way where we can get people to, again, pass the contemplation yeah. uh, phase. And so, does it have to be as extreme? Um, and I, I actually don't even want to use that word extreme um, of, of, of bringing a therapist in. I would encourage everybody to truly think about it, but then also pick up the phone and, and, and ask some questions. And maybe it's a therapist, maybe it's a social worker. Um, maybe it's, 
you know, a resource at AHA or, or AVMA. Um, maybe it's looking at every webinar you could possibly find on, on well-being. There's a lot of mm -hmm. those out there right now. Yeah. And, and, but one of the things I would say that when I look at the, a lot of the different webinars um, and, and, and one-hour kind of training things for, for leadership, they talk about it, but they don't have a lot of action steps like at the end of these webinars. And so yeah. those action steps really need to fall on, on you. And, you know, this doesn't even necessarily have to originate from a veterinarian or a practice manager or an operations manager. If there's somebody in your practice who is jazzed up by let's bring some of this stuff into the practice, challenge them, encourage them, engage them to be that person that brings it in. Now, you know, be part of it because you've got to, um, you know, bring this in systemically. Um, but there are some really easy steps. And, and I, I, I think the other message is you don't need to like put together an entire cognitive behavioral therapy program in the beginning. Like, you know, maybe something that you kind of wade into with one or two things. Um, and you ask for some help because, you know, you feel, I go through like the imposter syndrome. Like I'm like, why, why am I talking about this? Who am I to talk about this? I'm a veterinarian, right? But you know, <laughs> it, it, if I'm not trying to prescribe, um, right. you know, therapy, I'm just keeping the conversation going. And then we're all kind of working together and, 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 and practicing all of this together. Um, but don't feel like you have to like, we're going to bring cognitive behavior therapy in and you guys, we're going to do this. That's not going to probably like take off. That's going to like probably hit the floor and then like, <laughs> like a maybe ton of bricks. Be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe be exciting for like two weeks, but it's going to thud. And yeah. so you, you know, baby steps, little steps, work your way into it. But I think getting past contemplation, it is helpful to bring somebody in mm -hmm. who does this stuff as a career. And I, you know, with Helen, I, I honestly can't even give you an idea about the cost of this because Helen's like amazing. And she did all of this stuff um, just to become part of our team and, um, and, and to help our team because she saw, you know, she saw what the veterinary industry is, the situation that we're all in. Um, one thing I would say, though, if you, in, in terms of cost and a way to kind of reframe the expense is one you're gonna you're gonna change someone's life i guarantee it you might even save someone's life right i mean who knows what's happening in the minds of of everybody on our team if but if this were something that actually saved a life you may not ever know it but feel confident that you you might actually save someone's life um but the retention of the team and then the development of the team what you get in terms of the social connection, like it's amazing. I love my team. Like I love my team and I'm, and I'm very happy to say that we had like a great meeting yesterday and you know, all the dopamine was way up here and it was awesome. Um, <laughs> but you're going to, you're going to feel a connection to people um, that will make your life better. Like, so, and this is, this is all, I'm all saying this to like move people to action. Mm -hmm. um, but the other part is like one retain, retaining your team. You know, we've got this shortage of people. Uh, we, we we're having a lot of issues in the, in the veterinary world with 
you know, just having enough team members to get through the day, um, you're going to retain your people. Because what this, what this says is, one, you really care, like you really truly care. Yeah. And, um, and that's going to be communicated. And one, you're going to show a little vulnerability and you're going to be leading from the middle. And that is, that is a team you want to be a part of. Um, the other thing is recruitment. So we've actually used this concept in our recruiting. When, when I put an ad out there for a veterinarian, I don't put on there all the bells and whistles. We start our ad with grit plus love. And we've hired three veterinarians in the last six months. I just heard um, and, like all of the veterinarians, <laughs> the practice owners listening to this who are trying to hire vets. I just heard them yeah, all collectively yeah. fall out of their chairs. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> like, like, where did they come from? <laughs> yeah, we, we put grit plus love. It was, you know, this is what we're, this is what we are working on. We are working on developing our team. We are working on focusing on, on ourselves so that we can do all the great vet, veterinary work that we do. And, and that yeah. great veterinary work, it falls into place because we are happier <laughs> and we are doing what we love. Yeah. And so recruitment, so retention, recruitment, um, and just recovery and resiliency. I mean, these are things that we all need. And honestly, we went to vet school uh, we went to tech school. We didn't. We didn't go to uh, uh, school to be, uh, you know, cognitive behavioral therapist. So right. get some help, you know. And and I guess so. Reframe the cost of bringing someone in. Yeah. Into let's let's retain, let's engage, let's recruit. Um, I can tell you that on our local level, we're kind of remote. We're you know, we're an hour and a half away from the closest emergency clinic. Uh, we're on the Oregon coast, which is beautiful, uh, but we're a smaller community. We're not downtown Portland where, you know, recruitment might be a little bit easier. Um, but we've pulled people to the coast um, to come check out the practice. And I just feel like this is something that's paying off for us in so many different ways yeah. that it, it truly is almost like a priceless deal. So invest <laughs> in, in, in such a I'm program. like ready to go invest right now and even have a practice that was yeah. very effective so I, I, just, I just think um I think, it, I think it I think it can work and you know and I often one of the big questions for me and you know this came up uh, you know with Sonia Olson who I know you've you I think you've had on mm -hmm. your program and and you know her as a person who um is intimately connected to uh, well-being and, and, and creating resiliency within the and within yeah. the uh, veterinary world. Uh, but we've talked about like, how do we get people to act on this stuff? And one of the things that we've talked about is what happens if you don't act? You know, what, what's the price of, of inaction? And I think the price of inaction is we just stay on the record player and we, yeah. we circle right back to where we are uh, with all of the different emotional baggage or, or lack of coping, uh, whatever we want to call it, that well-being balance. Um, but if we, if we don't act on ideas like this, um, yeah, we're going to just find ourselves playing the same song over and over and over. Um, yeah. And we really think we've established in the last uh, year or two that there needs to be some change in the industry, right? I mean, we, we need to do different things. And maybe this isn't the program, um, 
but it's definitely worked on the local level. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think there's such a big um, tendency in our industry and in every industry to think what is the answer, right? What's the answer right. to the veterinarian and tech shortage that, it, or at least perceived shortage? What is the answer to burnout? What is the answer to us not being able to, you know, to keep teams happy and healthy and watching, mm-hmm. you know, people leave the field. And there isn't just one solution. There have to be so many because exactly. people have to try something on and see how it fits or for what works great for one team won't work for another or they're not ready for it. Like I can picture, um, you know, Alana, you you clearly loved working at Grove before any of this started, right? Like I can tell that you had that love for the team and the practice already and for Charles as a boss, but, um, but you, that time during 2020 would have tried any team, no matter how cohesive they were at the beginning. And so I'm sure that culture helped you um, to implement this program so effectively. Like Alana, you mentioned it was voluntary. And I, I think maybe Charles didn't mention that at the beginning that the participation in these sessions was voluntary and you would have, you had 100% participation. And I just think that like that just blew my mind when I read that in your email. Um, because I don't know any team, including really, really healthy teams, where everybody would have been like, yeah, I'm going to go to this, (laughs) this session where we talk about feelings, you know, like, (laughs) so I just, (laughs) I I think that's, it was mentioned we weren't going to be doing Kumbaya. So, I mean, I remember the, I remember the first time it was brought up and I was like, oh, okay. All right. So then we, you know, Charles kind of, I mean, but he, you know, he made it see, it was okay. You know, the way that Charles came across it, you know, to us was just that it was going to be okay. We didn't have to do it, but Uh, it was going to help us. Amazing. You also mentioned Alana earlier that you're fear free certified now, which I love because you had started off being so uh, nervous around dogs. And um, I was just thinking about all the money. I'm fear free certified too. I love fear free. Um, But I'm just thinking about all the money and resources that teams spend to train you know, their, their people to be fear-free and they'll paint the walls a different color and they'll order different color lab coats and they'll buy a towel heater and they'll, you know, spray feel away everywhere. Feel away is expensive, man. And like, yeah. it's so much money and effort and it's all completely worth it in my opinion. Like that is mm-hmm. so worth it. But what are we doing to make our practices fear-free for our people? You know, we are not spending that money and we're not committing that time right. and those resources because we feel like we don't have it. But if we can do it for our patients, we can do it for ourselves and we have to. Otherwise, what good is it? You know, if only half the people in that room are feeling comfortable. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I just, I love everything that you just said, Charles. And, um, and I hope you inspire somebody listening to go out and at least take the first step past contemplation you know, to think what would be realistic for my practice. Yeah. And the other thing that I've uh, kind of tried to talk about too is, uh, you know, when we are trying something new on like this, um, Mm -hmm. that's, that does feel so different. Um, You know, a lot of times you'll hear people kind of blow it off as, Oh, this is just soft stuff. Like this is whatever. Um, Well, it, the reason we don't do it is because it's actually, it's hard stuff, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. we don't, we're not, maybe geared to, to talk about uh, how we might be feeling or having this conversation. 
Um, and it's, it's actually a lot of, for a lot of people, very uncomfortable. Yeah. And one of the things I'll, I'll say is, you know, this has to be a new habit. It mm -hmm. has to be a habit forming kind of thing. Um, but embrace the discomfort that comes with a new habit. Um, like we all can, like one of the most uh, relatable things is, you know, gosh, I haven't been on a run for a long time and I'm going to go for a run and oh my gosh, it hurts. And yeah. then you got to like, you got to work through that and you have to, you know, establish this new routine of getting back in shape or whether it be ex any kind of exercise. Um, it's the same kind of thing. And you're going to feel a little bit uncomfortable potentially um, bringing something like this up because it's not your normal conversation. Um, but embrace that discomfort. Like if you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable, you might actually be doing um, you're, you're working, you're wading into a space that's not your comfort zone and, and getting out of that comfort zone to do something like this, which is only bringing positivity and happiness and, and health. Um, it's okay to feel uncomfortable. Um, just, yeah. you just got to work through it. Um, and for sure, I would say in the practice, like the news, I mean, we were pretty jazzed up and, and it was pretty fun. I mean, I remember you know, after the, after the first several sessions, we were all ready to like, start like, let's incorporate this, let's do this, <laughs> like, you know, and, and so we were all pretty jazzed up by it. But there were moments like, oh, okay, let's how, how am I gonna, how am I gonna deal with, uh, with this situation? Um, or, you know, coming out to a problem or, um, you know, just bringing the issues up and, and, and keeping the conversation alive. Um, you know, sometimes it is a little uncomfortable, but yeah. it's, it's definitely worth it to stick with it. Yeah. I, I it sounds 100% true. And, um, and your team is the proof. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people feel like maybe they've lost a little bit of that team cohesiveness during the pandemic. I know our team did, mm -hmm. you know, in the practice I was mm -hmm. in just because we weren't all, it was a big team and we weren't all together, you know, right. um, it was skeleton crew for a while and working in teams to avoid, you know, cross exposure and at two different hospitals and we didn't have team meetings anymore and for a while and it's so hard. And so it seems like what you're talking about, you know, the techniques that you learned. So for instance, assigning new meaning to the words like, okay, just breathe, you know, like mm -hmm. you said, Alana, those things could be implemented even in a team where maybe they weren't ready to attack some mm -hmm. voluntary longer modules with some more deep work. Maybe that comes later. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I was going to ask you at the end, but are there resources that you can share um, that you think would be helpful or do you have resources, you know, for your team that you would be willing to share that offer a little bit of help with those techniques, even if people can't bring somebody in at this point? Yeah. I mean, I think, so there's, there are a lot of, like say we wanted to go with something like cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, there's a lot of resources out there and there's some very simplified resources. You can find these online um, that are like card decks that, you know, you can kind of draw the card and it talks about different techniques that you can apply to, uh, to help cope. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know like specific authors. Um, I would say there's a couple resources that, that I feel very fortunate to have encountered that kind of helped frame some of this stuff for me 
and I can I can mention um, a couple books that I've read. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, Brene Brown, um, oh, yeah. you know, obviously uh, she's like amazing, and she's got a new HBO Max uh, special going right now. But anyway, her book Dare to Lead, um, it's like amazing. Like if you need something to help ground you into how to think about leadership or how to think about teams and and how teams work uh dare to lead is an amazing book um it's on audio but i'm not i'm not brene brown's like I'm not a sales <laughs> no i i'm trying to decide if it's actually on the shelf behind me it might be because those are all my favorite books back there um but i i'm yeah. so with you yeah yeah it's it's on my nightstand and i also listen to the uh to the um, audiobook but her stuff is great. So if anybody needs a starter for like getting inspired to like, if, if this doesn't work, this, this podcast, and you need somebody else to like move you to action, Brene yeah. Brown, Brene Brown, Brene Brown. Um, and then, um, uh, Johan Alana's Car- laughing. She's oh, heard this oh, before. Oh, this, well, I ha- I gave he gave me the book. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and then Johan Hari, um, H-A-R-I is the last name. Um, he has a book called Lost Connections, which mm. really kind of helps to frame like how important connection is. Um, I don't, I don't even know how this book fell into my lap. I, I wish I could tell you, but I can't. Um, but in terms of like societal uh, disconnection what the pandemic has done in terms of, of separating people um, and, and talking about loneliness, you know, and just the detrimental aspects of loneliness. So Johan Hari, great book, great read on really communicating the importance of connection. Um, and then there's another book called um, Compassionomics. Um, I do not have the author I love uh, but the title. this is, but yeah, and these the are a couple, a couple MDs who scienced up the idea of compassion and empathy in medicine. Um, and there is a full circle concept here. So basically they're talking about how when we apply empathy and compassion, we actually get a feedback loop that makes us feel better, happier, and more grounded. Um, you know, caregivers high, that kind of thing. Um, but it, it's a, it's another push to like really think about how we are applying empathy and compassion in veterinary medicine. Um, I got that book from a Freakonomics uh, podcast. <laughs> so, um, but those are three books that really kind of set me in motion um, in terms of our, our culture development and, and movement to action. Um, so in terms of specific resources, um, I would say look at those kinds of things that help us build culture in our practices first and then and then move into um, some of these uh, ideas um, that help really solidify the culture and then make the team even more he- more healthy. Yeah, I love to hear that um, that those words of wisdom from you because I can imagine in some of the cultures that I've seen where if one team member said to the other one, okay, just try some box breathing. Um, it wouldn't go well. <laughs> it would not be right. well received. So culture right. always is important. And, um, and maybe that's where we start because even just to focus on that shows that you care and that you want to help 
the team and that that authenticity about wanting to help the people you work with um, live better and work better together is is a huge step in the right direction. So, Awana, I'm going to, I'm sorry, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I want to, I'm going to close out here. And I was wondering if you had um, words of wisdom, that question that I put on the outline. Um, do you have any words of wisdom for a person who's not in a quote unquote leadership role in the practice, but who really wants to start talking about this in the practice. They're a little nervous to bring it up. Do you have any words for how that person might go about doing that um, and not feel, you know, uh, such a a big fear of failure? I mean, uh, one of the things they could do is play the podcast play this podcast <laughs> that's true <laughs> i mean just... charles made a really good case just now <laughs> he did make a good case <laughs> i like that answer yeah everybody uh, should go play the podcast but <laughs> and the transcript will be available so if somebody doesn't like to listen to podcasts you can just download the transcript and take chunks out of it and i'm really serious about that like some people need to know that this is evidence-based too and yeah. um, I, I love that you recommended a book where MDs actually took the idea of compassion and empathy and um, integrated it into what most practice managers and practice owners need to know, which is, you know, is this really going to affect how we do our jobs? Is it going to make us better at what we do? Um, can mm-hmm. we see results from it that we can measure? And, uh, and that, that could go a long way with, with some people for sure. Yeah. I'm all feelings all the time. So I'm just like, yeah, absolutely. We should talk about empathy, but I've never been in charge of a practice. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so Alana, you're, you're right. I mean, giving them tools for that conversation um, would really help. What about, um, you know, if, if you know that the person you're talking to is maybe not used to getting feedback from the team is there a way that you feel like they could approach that? Like, would you recommend having them go up to their manager or practice owner in person or send them a message? Like, you know, I'm just thinking about so many people I've known who have such great ideas and they've just been afraid to speak up. Oh, that's just such a shame. I guess, I mean, that's really a hard one for me because I don't, mm-hmm. I've never. You're clearly I mean, not I have, of course. And, and, well, in the, <laughs> yeah, in the past, I have had, you know, bosses, I guess, that weren't so approachable. As, mm-hmm. But, you know, the last nine years I've had Charles and he's yeah. anything but, I mean, not approachable. I mean, you know, he's so approachable. There's, there's no way that you couldn't. And every single staff meeting, every every little debriefing or anything, it's always – he always announces, you know, if please, if you need to talk, if you have – you know, want to give me feedback, if you – anything, you know, we are here for you. And please come and approach me, you know, if you're uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, it's just I haven't had a boss like that that I couldn't approach in in a long time. You know what I mean? But um, yeah. I feel like I would – I mean, if you're more comfortable with a coworker, maybe mm-hmm. maybe have yourself and a coworker who kind of have the same ideas, you know, get together and then maybe bring it to somebody, you know, obviously not in – the attacking, you know what I mean? Don't attack the person that you want to talk, you know, your boss or anything like that, but bring it to them in a, in a way that, you know, Hey, this is, this is what I learned. I'm wondering if, what do you think? What do you think about this being brought into our practice? Could, could we do this? Could we give it a roll? You know, like reach out, you know, I guess I've just been very lucky. 
My whole team is. You never know till you try to, right? I mean, people can Mm -hmm. surprise you. And and I love the way you phrased that. Um, where you said, what do you think about this? So you're not waiting. And also the right moment is important. Like not right, right. not running up to the person in the middle of the treatment area <laughs> on a Saturday morning is probably like a good idea. I probably would avoid doing that. But yeah. a quiet moment it, where you're not overly emotional seems like it would be a good time <laughs> to talk yeah, about Yeah, I it. mean, ask them for feedback, yeah. right? Yeah. Ask them. Yeah. You know? Can um, I provide you with some feedback? That's yeah. something else we also learned in communications, <laughs> yeah. which worked great with the team. Yeah. And and then they're they're expecting that, you know? Yeah. They're not just caught off guard and feeling pounced upon, you know? Yeah, that's great so advice. Pick your time. Pick yeah. your time and take the risk because you never know. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I think we also talk about in the clinic too is that we frame communica- communication as an act of compassion, right? Mm-hmm. And if you really kind of think about all the, when, when we are communicating, if you think about communication as compassion, it's going to lead to action. And um, so if you feel like really deeply, like, hey, this conversation needs to be had because it's going to impact the team in a positive way, let's put it out there. I'm going to be compassionate and act in this on this let's let's take this and have a conversation so if you frame it that way i think a lot of times too you you're going to think i have to do this (laughs) i have to bring this up i have to start this conversation because it's an act of compassion yeah (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. there's somebody listening right now who's feeling like they have to do it and i hope they'll go out and do it after listening to the two of you um because i feel optimistic about about the profession and about how our teams can weather all the tough challenges that have been thrown at them um, and are still being thrown at them. I feel more optimistic yeah. about that after having talked to both of you. So well, thanks. Thank yeah, you no, that. and I, I appreciate that. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, applying some optimism is, is mm-hmm. part of this whole thing. And I'm glad yep. that you are taking that away, but I'll, I will throw that back at you and say that when I listen to, central line and listen to you guys talking uh with your awesome guests i come away optimistic like it it jazzes me up so you know it goes both ways (laughs) yeah that means so much because that's what i hope for with every conversation because our guests Mm -hmm. have so much to offer and i wish i could talk to each of them for three hours because i feel like we're just barely skimming the surface but um, (laughs) but there are so many people in our field who are working hard for change and you all are some of them and i love that so i'm so glad that you reached out and we connected and i know we're going to be crossing paths again in the future Mm -hmm. um, because Mm -hmm. I feel like it's it, this is all too good and too fortuitous that we that this is going to be it. So I'm sure we'll be yeah, talking again. So for sure, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, and in case you're listening or watching and you missed it, um, Charles and his team were on a new stat story too that our uh, reporter Tony McReynolds, um, our news editor and reporter, wrote about uh, just recently. So um, we'll link to that story in the show notes for this episode too. Um, and, um, and please, if you want to get in touch with Charles and his team, um, send me an email at podcast at aha.org and, um, we can see if we can get you in touch or connect you with some of the resources that we talked about today. So, yeah. And, and I would definitely say, um, I invite any kind of questions, any kind of, uh, additional information. I'm very happy to share, 
uh, because I think this is how it all changes is we, we put it out there. So um, if your next action is is writing an email to Katie, <laughs> um, <laughs> make that your next action. It's an easy baby step. And then we can help yep. you with the next the next steps through through some conversations. So I, yep. I totally invite anybody to to reach out because I honestly I love talking about this. I love sharing it. And I'd love this to have a life beyond, you know, what we're doing here. So but, I think so thank you for thank you for having us. <laughs> pretty sure you, you've made yeah, that you. happen. And Alana <laughs> is wearing if you're listening and not watching and and I can't tell if they'll be able to see on the video, but Alana's wearing a hat that says grit plus love um, and and Grove Vet Clinic. And um, so they have swag. So any yeah. good initiative, right? <laughs> if you want it to catch on and have a life bigger than it, it than its own it needs swag. So it does um, need if swag. there's nothing else, yep, you can, if you do an initiative at your hospital <laughs> and you launch it with some swag, like I want to see that too, because I'm a huge fan of the swag. So I feel like that just helps everything just take on a little bit more um, yeah. energy and, and, uh, and love. So. Well, maybe we it. should, uh, we'll have to get your, your address, Katie, and we'll, uh. we'll, we'll, we'll get you a little swag. Oh my God, I'd be so excited. <laughs> Everyone's going to be so jealous. <laughs> All right, well, we'll exchange swag then. So you get you have some right Frankie on. stickers coming. Right. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> well, Alana and Charles, thank you so much for joining me um, and for everything you're doing um, for each other, for your clients, for the profession, um, because it really is for the profession now. And I want you to, um, to remember that on the hard days that you're helping a lot more than just the people you see in the room with you. So. Oh, thank you so much for having us. All right. Thanks thanks to you all for listening and um, we'll catch you next time on central line. Thanks for listening to today's episode of central line, the aha podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.